This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Sarah Evers Conrad from Lexington, Kentucky. And you are listening to the monthly Horse Illustrated episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for June 22nd. This is a special episode of Horses in the Morning every fourth Tuesday of the month brought to you by Horse Illustrated Magazine. Good morning, Horse World. The fourth Tuesday of every month is all about your passion for horses. Nurture your knowledge with informative and entertaining interviews. Brought to you by Horse Illustrated Magazine. Of course, this is our second time doing this with my old friend Sarah. And Sarah, we got some good reviews on your first round. Yes, so many great, so much great input. And I loved hearing everybody's comments and reading comments online. So, However, however, there's one but. Sarah wasn't satisfied with having a really good first showing here on Horses in the Morning. She decided to make today even better. So tell us who is coming on today. And you have one of the most stacked lineups we've had in a long time. Well, on today's show, we will be talking with Margot Shalcross, an Arabian judge who used to do demonstrations with Castle A, one of the horses that played the Black Stallion. We'll also be doing an Olympic preview with Olympic dressage hopeful Stefan Peters, who already has an abundance of experience on the international stage. And we will be talking with Elaine Bogan, director of the new DreamWorks animation movie Spirit Untamed. Today's title sponsor is the book Fields of Grace by author Kara Whitney. Okay, so let's review this. You've got a a multi-Olympian on today. You've got the woman who took the horse around that started most kids in the horse world and is one of the favorite movies of almost every horse woman out there. And you've got the director of a new animated movie from DreamWorks. Could you do any better today? I'm super excited for this lineup. (laughs) You should I mean, (laughs) and you know, Margot, who took... Cass around uh, and he was the main horse in the Black Stallion oh my gosh I would have loved to be her because that was the movie that kicked off my love like like thousands or millions of horse girls but I mean I was a goner by age five after seeing that movie and then also my my dad's company had to do pony rides around that time as well so you know I was just hooked after that and Stefan you know I always love like rooting for him for the Olympics. And then the new movie Spear and Untamed, I just recently saw it. I highly recommend it. My child also liked it. And, you know, it's going to be a fabulous movie for many, many people. Well, we don't normally have three guests on that are of this caliber. So I think we should just get started. Let's talk a little bit about our title sponsor for this episode and get to our first guest. This episode is brought to you by title sponsor Fields of Grace by author Kara Whitney. Draw closer to God down on the farm. From our horse farm in Nebraska, Kara Whitney, wife of Dan Whitney, a.k.a. Larry the Cable Guy, shares humorous and touching stories featuring her horses, cows, and rascally dogs. In Fields of Grace, Kara shows us that it's always a good time to share the love of Jesus with your neighbor, Look for Fields of Grace everywhere books are sold. Well, we are so excited, everybody, that Sarah was able to book the director of the new movie that's out in theaters right now, Spirit Untamed. And I know a lot of you have gone out and seen it already with your kids, and the reviews are great. And Elaine Bogan is joining us. Now, she's worked for DreamWorks for a long time. She's made her way up through the ranks, and this is her first major movie debut. And we're going to talk to her about that, what it was like to do it in COVID time. And let's just get right to Elaine and find out all about her life and this movie. Well, hi, Elaine. Thanks for joining us here on Horses in the Morning. We appreciate it. 
Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to meet you guys. Well, we're going to talk about your movie in just a minute, but our listeners get really mad at me. We've been doing this 10 years, and they would get mad at me for 10 years because I always mess this up. They always want to know about your horse first before we talk about any project that you're doing. So tell me about your horse. Okie doke. Uh, my horse is a majestic noble steed uh, <laughs> named Ziggy Stardust. And he is about... A no, you're making that two. up, right? No. <laughs> well, I'm a big Bowie fan. I guess you are. Figure that out by now. <laughs> uh, he's about 16, too, and he's a dark bay Dutch warm blood. Well, then you do dressage or jumping? I do a little bit of both and a lot of trail riding. I like to keep him busy and out of trouble, so I, I try and do a lot of different things with him every week. And you live in California, right? I do. Yeah, yeah so, we're right here in Burbank. Oh, so do you? are you at the L.A. Uh, Equestrian Center? Yes, that's where Ziggy lives. It's the only... It's the only equestrian center I know of. Yeah, it works out pretty perfect for us. It's right smack in the middle of home and work, about five minutes each way. So I'm pretty lucky. Well, Ziggy, I asked that also for another reason, because Ziggy's going to kind of come back into the conversation in a little bit here. But uh, as we said in the opener, you're the director of Spirit Untamed, and a bunch of our listeners have gone out and seen it with their kids and loved it. Amazing. Yeah, we're we're so pleased and so happy that we're getting such a great response from the audience and, and general audience reviews that, you know, we made this thing just to to excite and, sp and inspire little kids to get back out there and start having their own adventures now that, you know, hopefully we're in a place where the world's getting a little bit more back to normal and we can all do that. Well, that's interesting, too, because you this project started pre-COVID, but then you, your, your first major motion picture directorial debut was from home? It sure was. Uh, we were about not even halfway through. Uh, when we all got sent home to work. And so it became this situation where not only was I, you know, going through the big step and the big challenge of trying to figure out, you know, what is this directing a feature film? <laughs> uh, and then we were all sent home to figure out how to do our jobs all over again. You know, we were all working together, but separate. And we had a big, big challenge in front of us, but uh, we somehow managed to keep the Wi-Fi going and got it done. <laughs> now, I have to ask you, was there a pan was there a panic? I've been wanting to know this, you know, you know, in TV and movies and all of that in, in your world, was there a panic? Like, what are we going to do now? And are all these projects going to be put on hold? And where's the world at? And nobody's going to the movies. There must have been some interesting meetings. Yeah, absolutely. I would say for the, you know, a good three months, we were all, uh, it was like walking in quicksand a little bit trying to refigure out um, the process of production and the creative side of things even. And, uh, you know, I think as far as the, the film industry, I would say animation had a bit of an easier time because, you know, we're not in animation, we're, we're not dealing with live sets and massive crews of people all on location. We generally work from our offices and our studios and things like that. So it did, you know, it took us a little bit of, finagling but it didn't take us too long to try and adapt everyone to an at-home environment and we were very grateful every day for that we were able to keep going and keep a lot of people employed which was you know a, a really happy thing were you always on the animation uh, the side silver lining i guess yes yeah yeah so so did, any interest in doing the other side the you know the dark um, side you know <laughs> i guess <laughs> For me, it's like, you know, if the right story and the right set of characters comes around, for me, the medium is is up for grabs. I, yeah, I would have, I'd love to try different mediums and different styles. And even within animation, it's always nice to to switch it up once in a while with the, the types of stories you're telling and things like that. But yeah, whatever I can sort of really deeply and personally connect to would be ideal. Well, you led me into my next question perfectly, and wow. that is, how excited were you, or did you really push to direct this one knowing it's about horses, uh, you know, or was this something that just happened and it happened to be about horses? Yeah, you know, um, I have to say, I was a big fan of the first film, of course, um, and then you know, I didn't, I wasn't aware that DreamWorks was in the process of 
developing a new feature film with Spirit. And uh, it's funny, the timing of it, I had just um, come back to the feature side of things from TV uh, looking for my next project to work on. And when I got the very first phone call to see if I wanted to become a part of the Spirit universe as a director for the next movie i was actually sitting in my car at the los angeles equestrian center on my way home after just having taken care of my horse for the day and just the the timing of all of that felt so it was too weird to to not seriously consider and then once i heard more about the cast of characters that they wanted to base the story on which were the characters from the the tv series spirit riding free um, you know, just being able to tell a story about this young female heroine who is up for any challenge is, and, is, and is able to accomplish anything she wants because of, of her, her passion and the support of her really good friends around her. That story just spoke a lot to me um, on a very personal level. And it just, yeah, the timing of everything felt perfect. Now, it seems like the... the animation of the horses was very realistic and just spot on as far as realism for horse people and making it seem like horses moving correctly and whatnot. I have a feeling you had a lot to do with that, correct? (laughs) Yeah, I'm so happy to hear that. It was one of (laughs) my biggest goals coming into this project was because of the, you know, just the, the sheer artistry and beauty and attention to detail that that was encapsulated in the first movie. We really wanted to emulate that. And for me, Obviously, as a horse person, it was important that these these animals and these characters on screen were represented in a way that I felt told the story about my daily experiences with my horses. And, um, you know, I feel like the, the more real and authentic and believable we could get about that, the more uh, the audience would connect to that material and feel like, you know... That could be them up there because they've been through these things every day. Like, the, for for example, the scene where Lucky gets her hair, her face snorted in by spirit and her hair blows back and she just falls over laughing. I, I, I swear that happens to me every day. It's <laughs> all of us. And, uh, you know, for one person having your face covered in horse spit, it's hilarious. For another, maybe not so much. But it's it's all of these small moments that we all experience every single day i really it was my mission to infuse a lot of that all the way throughout lucky and spirits relationship in order to you know tickle the audience with a a sense of authenticity oh were they were the staff all rolling their eyeballs when you'd show up and go oh this horse part isn't right were they all rolling oh my gosh i was definitely (laughs) the horse nerd in the room um guys a horse would never do that horses don't have eyebrows um but you know I was really fortunate to have my partner, uh, my co-director, Enyo Torres, in, in the room. He was He's not necessarily a horse person. So it was a nice balance of, okay, what can what can we get really realistic about? And, you know, also the nice reminder in the room that, you know, Elaine, we're making a cartoon. So we need to <laughs> utilize some other elements that will help uh, reach out to the audience who doesn't necessarily know horses. And we really needed Spirit to have a lot of character and personality and be able to express emotions because he doesn't speak in this movie. He doesn't have voiceover dialogue like he did in the first movie. So we were relying on a lot of more sort of anthropomorphic traits and a little bit of human quality in his facial expressions and things like that to balance out the the horse body language that we all know very well. Now you talk about connecting with the audience and for the audience out there that I know the three main characters are girls, but I have an almost 10 year old boy and Mm -hmm. he watched the movie with me. And as soon as it was done, he said, that's a really good movie. So it even connected with a little boy who's not that into horses. He gets a lot of exposure through me, but he, uh, he is not your, you know, horse crazy girl that a lot of people might think is the target audience. So Anybody who also has a little boy, you can also take your, your little boys out to see the movie, too. That's fantastic to hear. And I love a lot of the messages you had in the movie for the kids about, like, not giving up and being determined and also to always be yourself. Mm-hmm. What do you, What were some of the other messages that you hope for viewers to take from the movie? Yeah, it's definitely, the main themes were definitely, you know, always 
be brave enough to have your own authentic voice, be comfortable, love who you are and always fight for what you truly believe in, no matter how hard that's going to be. That's sort of the headliner. And I think it's such an important one for a young audience, especially today. Um, and the other thing that we were really proud of being part of a story like this for was the idea that Lucky comes into this new town. She's a fish out of water. She doesn't know where she is. She doesn't know anybody in the town. But she's immediately faced with these two female friends who welcome her right in. They were very inclusive immediately of Lucky in this new place. They weren't, they didn't judge her. They didn't give her a hard time. They helped her and they lifted, they all lifted each other up to get to where they needed to go. And I think that message was my favorite part. It was just, you know, we all have to lift each other up if we're going to make any sort of sense out of this life. So <laughs> that was a big one for me. Well, and as a parent, you, you definitely want to teach that message to your kids. So movies like this kind of help help us parents along with that. Amazing. So I, I mentioned earlier about Ziggy, um, which whose name I will never forget. Uh, so <laughs> and we've talked, we've had 6,000 guests in this show, and that's the first one. So <laughs> so did, what, did Ziggy kind of make an appearance in the movie? Did you kind of have your own horse in there? Well, yes, you might catch a glimpse of old Ziggy Stardust in Spirits Heard. And uh, he, you know, I took a little bit of liberty, creative liberty with his character. In real life, Ziggy's very much you a made him clean. Labrador retriever. He would crawl into your lap if he could. But in the movie, we were looking for uh, a horse that would sort of uh, become, he plays the role of Spirits second in command. And uh, Ziggy's character in the movie is very much the standoffish, I don't trust humans yet. Uh, and that was his sort of his sort of arc throughout the movie was coming to trust Lucky by the end. And that was a representation of the rest of the horses and spirits heard. Whereas on the other side of things, Spirit has had this relationship forming with Lucky. So he kind of represented, you know, the heart and the horse-human relationship beginning to form at the beginning of the movie. Um, but we still wanted to to reflect a bit of realism in there and, and help people understand, you know, these horses are wild animals and they deserve respect and they deserve their space. Um, and, yeah, I think we, we it was tricky finding that balance between allowing Spirit to stay a wild horse and also telling a story about him forming a, a bond with a human, although she's not trying to tame him, she wants to keep him in the wild. You know, it was there was a lot of really challenging issues we were we were dealing with in the in the story itself. Well, it's interesting too because we do an episode once a month here on the show uh, with the Mustang Heritage Foundation. So, mm. the fact that you know it's a Mustang, you know, made me happy too because we are yeah. big supporters of finding them homes, and our hosts, uh, several of them, have uh, taken in Mustangs and trained them and. Oh, oh. We've had, uh, you know, Mary Kitzmiller has won, you know, Mustang competitions. So it, it, we're, I was so happy to see that. But now I got to ask you a question beside this one, because it's going to be your favorite. But what was your favorite horse movie leading up to this one? Oh, my gosh. All, all of them. <laughs> I remember uh, when I was a kid, I wore out two VHS tapes, if, if the kids out there know what those are anymore. I wore out two VHS tapes, watching, rewinding, and re-watching Black Beauty. Of course you did. For, <laughs> for so you and every years. other female in the audience. <laughs> I think my mom could probably recite all of the dialogue in that movie because of me. <laughs> um, I would say that's probably, that's definitely my favorite. And then even as I grew up and started going to art school, I, you know, I loved movies like Brave, that, that, that had char horse characters in them that f because I had started riding when I was eight or nine years old, I, I knew what their characters were like and I knew how different they all could be and how much personality one could have uh, one standing next to the other, you know, and, but I always really appreciated movies like brave that told a story with a horse in it that felt like that still felt like a horse. It didn't feel like a, an overly animated cartoon, like character that took on, other traits from different animals, you know, in order to tell a story and uh, any movie like that, that felt like a fun, exciting take on a horse character. I was really into. 
Is that why she kind of had a little bit of red hair? A little throwback to Merida there? There's a little there's a little tinge in there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our, our designers really wanted to just stay true to and evoke the, the designs that were in the TV series. So uh, I guess that would be a little bit of Jim in Jim uh, genetics in there. The <laughs> main characters all have such diversity and that young girls and young kids today can see themselves in like each of the characters. Yeah, that, that was definitely a big mission of ours way up front was to make sure that we we honored the cast of characters that the TV series provided us with, but we were all so excited to be part of a story that, you know, represented the reality that we live in. We all come from different perspectives, different cultures and different backgrounds. And we were excited at the idea that these three girls do come from very different backgrounds, but they don't come into the story competing about it. They all come together and solve a problem together. And, um, you know, it was it, because we were reflecting these characters from different point of views and cultures. Um, we also thought, made sure that we stayed focused on representing that on our own crew. And the people behind the scenes making the story came from different perspectives and different backgrounds because that was the only way, you know, what kind of storytellers would we be if we didn't try and reflect that on our own crew? And, uh, you know, we're it because of that, it seemed like every single person that had their hands in making this movie had some very personal stuff to to lend to the story and to the art and the design and the, the visual style. Everything was touched by so many different people. And uh, I, yeah, we, we feel pretty successful that, um, that the story hopefully is a reflection of that, you know? Is there one part of doing an animated series that's the most difficult or an animated movie? For a director, well, from your point well, of view, me. Yeah, in your <laughs> seat. Like maybe doing it for a first-time director, every single part <laughs> of that filmmaking <laughs> became the challenge of the day. And, and it was one that was so exciting and so much fun because I feel like my entire experience in the animation industry has just been sur me being surrounded by so many excited and motivated and supportive artists. And if you can find... A, a place like that to work. It just, it doesn't feel like you're working at all. You're just all together trying to figure out a problem, you know? Um, did it turn out on that note, did it turn out being yeah. easier in a way to do it from home then for you as a director? Um, you know, I think the creative part wasn't as easy okay. because animation is so often about in-person collaboration and, and pulling everyone into a room. Okay. How are we going to fix this scene? What kind of jokes are going to make this funny? And it's just kind of like a big brainstorm collaboration. So we were missing a lot of that in-person artistry, but you know, probably my producer was very happy about the idea that because we were all working from home, we managed to get a lot done every single day because <laughs> we weren't running back and forth from, or go run down the hall to this office or go to the next building to find this person. You know, it was the, I think the production part of it became very streamlined once we figured out how to do it, but we all did really miss the, the camaraderie and the collaboration of, of creating something together, you know? Yeah. I see that. Well, I'm just curious, like, did you ever see your, see yourself at any point in your career as a director on a full-length feature film? To be honest, I didn't. I didn't know I had it in me. And uh, <laughs> when I look back, I, uh, going through art college and animation school and coming into the DreamWorks trainee program and then going on to being a story artist on various different projects. I spent every day just focusing on getting better at what I was doing. And I didn't often look to the future with these grand ambitious goals. And I'm going to be a, a director someday because I just, you know, I just wanted to be great at whatever I was doing at, at the moment. And I think, you know, over the course of time, you, you gather and build all of these skills. And if you're in the right environment and around the right kind of really insanely supportive people, that will be recognized. And uh, yeah, I think the biggest challenge was just admitting to the idea of becoming that leader 
and being that voice that can guide a crew of three and 400 people. That was for me, that was the scariest part. And, uh, and you know, it's still not easy, but it's just like lucky. You got to jump in and <laughs> I mean, I hate to be cheesy about it, but you got to be fearless about these things when you're offered an opportunity like that and you have a voice and you have a story to tell it's um it's an extremely rewarding thing i can understand plus you you got uh, millions of dollars riding on it which doesn't help the stress at all either so yeah, it's no <laughs> joke <laughs> yeah there, there's that <laughs> so i before we wrap up here's some comments uh april said saw it on opening night took my two and a half year old got her all dolled out in a spirit outfit and she loved it People are just so excited to go back out to the movies. <laughs> um, I know. Uh, Jill said, yes, super cute. Took the kids and everyone had a laugh. So that's oh, good. Um, uh, and there were several more. You don't have time to read them all. But uh, they were all good. There wasn't one negative that's that so nobody good. got bored. So there you go. Oh, I love that. That's also, good. I really missed movie theater popcorn. I was happy to have some of that last it's week. It's not as good at home for some reason. I know. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It's out in movie theaters right now. You can go see it. And I understand it's going to be coming out June 25th. Uh, video on demand on various platforms. You can you can you all know how you can find it on your TV. But uh, if not, go to dreamworks.com slash movies slash spirit dash untamed or just google it you'll find it but good luck on the on your next feature film oh my goodness thank you guys so much i'm thinking positive for you by the way i'm trying to think positive here (laughs) (laughs) thanks elaine we appreciate it thanks you guys have a great day well, that was so much fun to talk to her. I could have talked to her all day just about the business and about how things work. And it had to be amazing for her to take this challenge on after working there all that time and then have COVID hit in the middle of it. I, I, I can't, can't imagine. imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't I can't either. But she did tell us a cool story that the first spirit, while they were working on the first one, which was early 2000s, they actually brought the kind of model spirit in uh, to DreamWorks to live on the campus there. And so the artists would go out and kind of draw him while he was hanging around eating and doing his thing in the lawn, uh, which I didn't know. And that was kind of a cool story I wish we'd gotten to. Yeah, I didn't even realize until recently that the horse was based on a real horse. And hes I read up that he's a Kiger Mustang, and I've seen a video. He's gorgeous. And for anybody who wants to know more about Elaine, we actually also interviewed her for our younger audience with Young Rider. That interview appears in the Young Rider mini digital issue for May And people can find that on youngrider.com. There's a link for the archived Young Rider mini library. And also you can subscribe to that online at youngrider.com as well. Didn't I see you guys just did something new too? You did a new Western uh, issue? Yes, we just finished Western Life magazine. And that is a special interest publication that comes out once a year. And it featured everything from cowgirl influencers and like Western books, style, like how to buy the best cowboy boots and how to decorate your bedroom or your kitchen with like Western accents, Uh, different profiles like barrel racer, Amberly Snyder, who was featured in a Netflix movie. Yeah, we've had her on. She's fascinating. She, she really is. And then the various breeds that are found um, doing Western disciplines, everything from the American paint, the American quarter horse, the Appaloosa, and then some other breeds that also do Western events, the Morgan, American Saddlebred, Arabian, and Tennessee Walking Horse. And then we've got Western riding tips in a variety of disciplines and some really cool travel articles. One Our editor actually got to go on the coolest dude ranch trip years ago. And I'm totally jealous of like her experience. And she writes all about this one location and it's on my bucket list now. So people can find out more about that. If you want at horseillustrated.com slash Western dash life. Well, as we said, this episode is brought to you by title sponsor fields of grace by Kara Whitney. Draw closer to God down on the farm. 
from her horse farm in Nebraska, Kara Whitney, wife of Dan Whitney, and yes, that's right, it's Larry the Cable Guy, shares humorous and touching stories featuring her horses, cows, and rascally dogs. In Field of Grace, Kara shows us that it's always a good time to share the love of Jesus with your neighbor. Look for Fields of Grace everywhere books are sold. Our next guest, Stephen Peters, came to the United States in 1984 and became a U.S. citizen in 1992. Since then, he has been one of the country's top international dressage competitors, having represented the U.S. at four Olympic Games, four FEI World Equestrian Games, and two Pan American Games. Peters rode his KWP and gelding Udon to Team Bronze in his first Olympic outing in 1996. With Legolas 92, he won team and individual gold at the 2015 Pan American Games in Toronto and team bronze at the 2016 Rio de Janeiro Olympics. With his longtime Mount Ravel, the KWPN gelding owned by Akiko Yamazaki, he won the FEI World Cup in 2009 and two individual bronze medals at the 2010 Alltech FEI World Equestrian Games in Lexington. He has been recognized for his accomplishments with three USEF Equestrian of the Year titles in 2008, 2009, and 2011. And most recently, he's been winning everything in sight with his current top horse, Supin Casper, a KWPN gelding owned by Akiko Yamazaki and Four Winds Farms. Well, welcome, Stefan, to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I'm... I'm so thankful we got to get you on because you've had a busy, busy time the past few months, but especially this past weekend. I know mm-hmm. you rode your horse, Soup and Casper, this past weekend at the U.S. Dressage Mandatory Observation Event and with an impressive score of average score of 79.532%. I was curious, um, and I've heard he, he's named Mopsy. You all call him Mopsy, correct? Right. Correct. What does he like to ride, and what is his personality like? You know, I I call him a big teddy bear. He's um, his personality is extremely sweet. Usually, you know, horses that um, I've had horses before that are more than happy to be left alone in the evening. But uh, he loves to cuddle in the evening and prefers to have me in a stall. And if I would sleep there, I think he'd love it uh, <laughs> during the day. We go for, uh, of course, the training sessions in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we go for a little hand walk, a little grazing. And um, just that time with him, I mean, I just enjoy that so much. He loves to stand, look around, you know, shows me little spots where he needs to be scratched. And it's a gigantic love relationship that I have with him. Oh, that's fabulous. You've had so many major horses in your lifetime. I was curious how he compares to Udon, Ravel, Floriano, and Legolas. Um, you know, Legolas, for instance, was has, had also so much personality, always a funny personality, always wanted to talk and wanted to be in your face, sometimes a little bit pushy, just on the ground, not under saddle. Um, Mopsy is just always a gentleman, always kind. Um, he's extreme, the, the veterinarians love him. The, the flight attendants who fly with him fall in love with him. That's just the kind of horse he is. Um, always, uh, always ready for some some love, some treats, and uh, like like I said, like honestly, the perfect horse. Well, does that make it easier? There's so much that goes into training for an Olympics mentally and physically. Does that help with the like mental preparations of preparing a horse mentally for something this big? Yeah, you know, it, he used to be, still is, I mean, extremely sensitive, but he used to be overly sensitive and react to his surroundings quite a bit more. And um, honestly, that's why I didn't think it was the end of the world when the Olympic Games didn't happen last year. I always knew we needed another year for for him to mature. And I think that's clearly happening now. Um, he's so much more used to um, any type of stadium. And um, it, it, only, it only helped him. So it uh, clearly was to our benefit that uh, the, the Games are happening this year. Now, 
does it just happen over time and with all the experiences of going to all these big events that they get ready? Or do you do certain things specifically to get a horse ready for something as big as the Olympics or World Cup, whatnot? You know, at the end of the day, it's all you can do is just exposure. You know, we can uh, create all kinds of sounds at home. You know, you can... Um, record clapping, you can write to your freestyle. At the end of the day, it's the exposure in a big stadium that um, gets the horses eventually used to that. And that's what we did with him. You know, we did uh, 22 Grand Prix since um, early last year. And uh, he won 20, 21 of them. And I could feel each time he went in there, he just was getting more and more comfortable with the um, with the environment. Now, this upcoming Olympics will be very different from your previous ones since you've been to so many already. Um, with all the COVID protocols in place, what are some of the differences you've been told about that will be in place for this Olympic Games versus past ones? You know, it's um, first of all, to me, it, it, it's very simple. It has to do a lot with acceptance. It's a different world. And uh, there's a, a very low percentage of uh, Japanese citizens that have been vaccinated. So we, we have to respect that. And our mission will be going from the airport to the venue, from the venue to the hotel. There's no shopping. There's no um, socializing outside the hotel. We, we got a job to do. And I totally respect and um, appreciate it. There's uh, there's a wonderful pool at the at the hotel. I love to swim every day, multiple times, and that's what I'll do. It's going to be very different, and we also have to accept that a lot of um, Japanese citizens might not want the athletes there. It's going to be very different, but it doesn't change uh, the mission, and it certainly doesn't change my focus. So the wild parties with the track people are not happening. <laughs> 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 you know, I um, as you as you can tell, I have to gather my thoughts because that thoughts because they have some there have been some wild parts. I know. Yes, you you're absolutely right. That that's not going to happen. But um, my guess is no the how- track, Stefan. My guess is the track people are going to find a way to have wild parties anyway. That's oh, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but you know, the, the the neat thing is, I've been. Um, um, however the team is going to be selected I've been with all team members on a team before if it's an Olympic game or um, a uh, Pan American game and let's let's not forget the team hasn't been announced I'm not officially on the team either but right. um, if, if I am um, I know exactly what my team members are capable of as far as partying so I think we can keep up with the track and field people I, I know that so will Shannon get to go with you and any other friends or family, or is it super limited? It's unfortunately super limited. Uh, there's one, at first it was only one credential for one owner, and the FEI might open that up and actually allow both owners to go. So uh, Jerry and Akiko might go, but Jerry also is very involved with uh, the vaulting team um, and um, his youngest daughter might compete in the, uh, in fact, she is competing in the World world Games of Vaulting in France and Le Mans. And that is uh, pretty close to the Games. So your wife, your spouse uh, can't even go? My spouse can't go, no. Wow. Nope. I didn't realize wow. that. It'll definitely be a different year this year than, than past ones. Yeah, but the, the neat thing was... Um, you know, the entire team got together, you know, Moxie's team got together on Friday. And um, we talked many times about those seven minutes that we that we could share together. And let's face it, at my age, I'm very realistic about that. You know, how many, how many chances do you get? And, you know, if 79 doesn't happen at the Olympic Games, but it happened here at the trials. And it was uh, pretty close to an 80 percent and it was a it was one of the best tests of my life and to share that with the entire moxie team meant uh, meant the world to me you know i uh, the next few days after the test i 
spent so much time with him and just reflecting on those seven minutes. And it's a, it's a wonderful feeling in your life. You know, how many chances did I have and how many chances do I have in the future? You don't know. So you, you really treasure those moments a lot more than you used to. Well, you're definitely a veteran at this. What, what is it like? How do you describe winning a medal at an Olympic games or a world equestrian games after four long years of preparation? There's nothing better than the Olympic games. I mean, the, the world cup came pretty close. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the win in Aachen was huge. Um, you know, of course the individual placings are wonderful, but there's nothing better than putting in a good performance for your team. And um, some people might wonder why I say this, but uh, the team medal actually means more to me than an individual medal. I mean, the way I felt in Rio when Laura was going with each single step a little closer to that bronze medal, I still have a hard time explaining what that felt like because I waited 20 years for that. The last team medal that I got was in... 96 in Atlanta and now I waited 20 years for this to happen again and with every single second that became more real and I can still get a little choked up about that moment so you know competing with the team as a team at the Olympic Games there's nothing better it's incredible so we're kind of running out of time I I want I know you guys all know each other and I need to know are you going to be in the ice bath with Boyd Martin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> if it's if it's big enough, absolutely. Yeah, sure. I'm gonna start calling you the king of random questions. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a thing on him earlier. He's he's like in his super workout mode, like he usually is right before a big competition. And of course, we all saw him at his ice bath at uh, at Land Rover. So that's why I asked that. It was just I figured he was going to have the tubs lined up for all of you uh, there. I mean, the, the bottom line is it didn't cross my mind, but, but now that you mentioned it, I think we we definitely got to do that. <laughs> At least for the picture opportunity, <laughs> for nothing Absolutely. else. You got it. You got it. We're going to make that happen. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, there's not a hotter place on earth than, than Tokyo. So, you know, let's see if we can gather up one of those big ice buckets and we'll hop in there. I'll make you deal, even if it's a little smaller, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll tell him that. We'll, I'm probably going to be talking to him later in the week, so I will let him know that you're all game for that. <laughs> Thank you, Stefan. Appreciate you joining us today. We're, we're, and good luck. Thank you. We can open Thank, you. Thank you. For- mane and Tail's newest premium product line, Ultimate Gloss, will leave your horse's mane, tail, and coat with an award-winning shine. If you were looking for a formula that gets down to the skin, releases dirt, dander, and a buildup in your horse's coat, then the Ultimate Gloss is your go-to bathing solution. I need that for my pony. Uh, Made with natural ingredients, Ultimate Gloss provides a gentle way to leave your horse with a high-gloss, long-lasting shine. Discover the secret behind Boss of the Gloss by visiting the website at ultimategloss.com. That's ultimategloss.com. And I'm going to be ordering some of that today for Scooter because all he has been doing is rolling after every rainstorm every day. So he needs this. That's his job. Yes. <laughs> it does it well. It does it well. <laughs> What's our next guest? Or who's our next guest? Our final guest is Margot Shalcross, who was introduced to the world of Arabian horses in 1964. Margot joined Anderley Arabians in Albion, Iowa as head trainer and farm manager in the 70s. Her responsibilities included training, breeding, and showing Anderley's horses. In 1977, she became the head trainer and farm manager at San Antonio Arabians, home of Castle A. Castle A starred in two movies, The Black Stallion and Return of the Black Stallion. She showed the famous stallion at Liberty at numerous national and international venues, including the U.S. and Canadian Arabian National Shows, the White House, and the Washington International Horse Show. She also presented casts during TV appearances. In 1983, she opened her own training facility, Fancy Free Arabians, which she ran until 2006. There, Margot offered training, lessons, breeding, and showed clients' horses at the local, regional, and national levels. And she has also been a top judge within the Arabian horse industry, the American miniature horse industry, and Pinto's. And she is judged internationally. 
Welcome, Margo, to the Horse Illustrated episode of Horses in the Morning. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. Now, you've had a super busy career and done so much, as evidenced by the bio. Um, But you've also worked with one of the most well-known movie horses, the Black Stallion. And although he was just one of the horses that played the Black in the movies, he was the main one, correct? Yes. um, Actually, at the end, the photo in the credits, he's the only one listed as the star of the Black Stallion movie. And so how did, did you it. end up with that gig to show Castle to all his fans? Well, I had met the owners many years prior at a show in Louisiana where I was competing with a half Arabian that I owned that was also a black bay, looked kind of like Castle and had some similar pedigree. Um, and we met at that time and then... Several years later, I had gone to Iowa and trained for an individual up there and then ended up in Virginia. And the horse during that time had been chosen for the movie. Um, And I had put an ad in one of the magazines. I had kind of moved away from one farm I was working for and in limbo a little bit. Um, So I put an ad in one of the Arabian magazines looking for a training position. And I'm in Virginia and I got a letter from them saying, we're looking for a trainer here in Texas. And they had met me years prior. And also a friend of mine had recommended me when they put out the word that they wanted an in-house trainer. Um, and lo and behold, the magazine also had arrived with my ad in it and an article about their horse being chosen for the movie. And I thought, that's a great barn to go to because there will be big notoriety with that horse if that movie is successful. So I immediately called them, asked them if they wanted me to come down for an interview, and they said, no, come down. You have the job if you want it. You've been recommended. So there I go, down to Texas from Virginia. Now, that's a fabulous way to get a job. Yes. Here you go. I like that. What was he like? What was Castle like as um, a horse to ride and also like personality-wise? Castellet had a great disposition. He was an extremely easygoing stallion, and he was standing at stud um, as soon as he came back from the movie and prior to going off and filming. But he was also competing in the show world with um, the owner's daughter, Francesca Quello. And he had won quite a bit. He was about 12 years old when I entered the scene, and he was just finishing up actually filming the movie. So he was on location when I arrived there. And we had a very small nucleus of horses at their location, about 27 horses at that point. We eventually, over the next couple of years, grew to over 100 horses. When Cass came home, we started buying breeding stock for him. But he just was one of these horses you could, you know, have him around mares, have him around geldings, have him around children. Adults. I mean, he was just very, very easy to get along with. Well, I have to share that um, the Black Sally movie is actually what started my love of horses. Um, after I saw that movie, I was five. It was just, I was gone <laughs> after that. So um, he's just such an icon within the horse industry. Um, you also shared an image with us of Cass with Amy Carter, which is President Carter's daughter. Can you tell us a little bit about that day? And we'll make sure to put that in the show notes. But um, I'm curious about that day and uh, about other adventures you might have had with him during that time. Well, he came back home and um, the owner's daughter, Francesca, had been in a serious car wreck. So she wasn't capable of getting him back on and showing him right away. But I started getting him under saddle for her, thinking that was where we would head with him after the movie was filmed. And lo and behold, we started being inundated with phone calls. You know, could you bring him here? Could you bring him there? And of course, as a, I was like, they used to call me the blonde Quello. I had lived in South America and I did speak some Spanish. And um, the Quellos, of course, were from, he was from Puerto Rico. He was a doctor and his wife also was a doctor from Mexico. So they were always speaking a lot of Spanish around the home and found out that people really wanted to see him. So we met as a group and 
discussed how do we go about taking him on the road and presenting him. Do we do it? Do we allow the movie company United Artists to handle it? And the owners decided they really wanted to be in control of it themselves. And their contract allowed that. So um, I was sent out to learn how to work him at liberty, where you turn him totally loose in an open environment and have him do various tricks around you and come to you when you call and his rearing that a lot of that was what he was trained to do to, you know, work in the film in the movie for the black stallion. And I'd had a little incident prior to going out and really learning how to handle him and the whips and the control and the cues that he knew at a show. I had taken him in just to show him um, what we call in hand, a halter class. And I bring my whip up, which we used to do to present our Arabian horses. And they would kind of come to that whip and stand up a little tighter through their frame and all and really be very showy. And, of course, he goes on his hind legs and stands up and rears for me. Unbeknownst to me, I'm giving him the cue. Oh, no. Hollywood, I, I find that out. So short, long story, I go to Hollywood for 30 days and I learn how to work him with the whips. And it was just an incredible experience. And I meet the Randalls who had taken him on location. And through the next couple of years, when I would get into a jam and do something incorrect, I could always count on them coming to my aid and, you know, phone calls and visits and all to make sure I did the performances correctly. So one of the early performances we were invited to was um, the White House. We had already done Santa Anita Racetrack, which was just an incredible showing. And I did send you one of the pictures of that, of him rearing in front of crowds and also Arlington Park. Uh So in 1980, we were invited to go to the White House. No pressure there. Let's take the horse into the middle of the city, into the White House. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and we also took him to a huge ball. And that was, oh. <laughs> that was wow. a rather incredible experience, leading him out into the ballroom. But first we'll talk about the performance at the White House. Um, my sister, who was married and pregnant at the time, and my mother came with me. And, of course, I drive up to the White House grounds. Now, very different in those days. Here I have a black trailer, and it says the black stallion on it. I'm led by some of the... Um, local police that had been our escorts through the city because they were taking us and blocking streets and all to get us to the different places the horse was being presented. And we just drive right in. Nobody stopped and looked in the tack room. They didn't look in the horse trailer. So I, I park him near the Rose Gardens. I unload him. I throw a saddle on him I, while I'm waiting for everything to get under control and ready. I ride around the Rose Gardens, you know, like a <laughs> country trail ride. And then I'm called over to um, have Amy ride him. And she also had a friend that was spending the night, the other little girl that I put on him. But Amy was a little hesitant and afraid because she had been, from the story I had heard, at the zoo and they put her on an elephant and he didn't behave very well. And so she was a little tentative about getting on Castle and of course after seeing the movie you know I could see why she thought that way and I just assured her that you know I would control the situation and he was a really kind horse and he would really take care of her which he did and then I turned him loose and they had invited all the um, children from the different cabinet members to come out and watch this live performance and so they had roped off a big section in front of the White House and I turned him loose and did a liberty routine with him there. And Cass was just one of these animals that would work with you so well. And when he did get mischievous, you kind of see it in his eye. You know, he'd get a little look like, maybe I'm going to go hide by that bush instead of come and do what you want me to. <laughs> so we also had a few moments like that. It's the White House. I have to grab a bite of grass here. You know. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> And I learned to play it off with the crowds and say, well, you know, he's being like most of the men in my life. He's not listening to me right now. He's also (laughs) doing something different. And then he would come back and work. Can you imagine trying to do that today? It would take you two hours just to get through the city and into the White House. Right. I can't even (laughs) imagine going in the White House with a trailer that they didn't open and look under every little (laughs) box I had in it. So they'd have to scan, they'd, they'd do a full body scan of the horse. It would be. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Today, 
not a, they would definitely do that. But in those years, you know, we just went on in. And then I um, took him, as I said, there was a big ball at the Watergate and had him in the lobby. They set up a stall and they had made, you know, I thought it was kind of funny. It looked like cufflinks for him to put around his front legs and a bow for around his neck. I don't know if he liked it. I thought it was <laughs> a little ridiculous, but that's what they wanted. So, you know, after a long haul up there and performing different places along the way, we went with that. And I had gone in to preview. They wanted, after all the guests had had the, a big cocktail party and his stall was kind of located in the area off of this big corridor where people could come by and visit him in his stall, I was to lead him into the banquet area where they had a live band playing and they had a big dance floor and all. Well, I'd gone in previous um, to the presentation to check it out and make sure, you know, there was ample room to go by. And because I knew I was going to be dressed in evening gown and he was going to, even though he was a little tired from the trip, you know, he was going to all of a sudden get a little lightened up and um, be on show. So, I walk in, oh, everything looked great. You know, the evening progresses. I get him all ready to take him in. And, of course, I just have, with, with the Radiance, we show him in kind of a light little leathery patent halter with a little teeny bit of silver on it, you know, pretty halter. But it's not a real heavy halter to put on a horse that is in an environment that might be rather spooky. But I just trusted this horse so much. So I head on in, and I didn't think about everybody in these big evening gowns and all and moving back from the tables how much room was going to be lost so the corridor I was to go down and toward the dance floor and I was supposed to stop right before the dance floor and they would make what announcements they want and then turn them around and go back to the stall just so people could see them but not get on this very highly polished slick dance floor and I had high heels on so I'm leading him and of course these gowns and he's throwing his tail over the back of these women as he goes by (laughs) probably in their soup and salad that's on the table and he steps in front of me and gets onto the dance floor was he did did he have rubber shoes on did he have boots on no oh jeez feel him sliding oh no no and all i could think was i just put my hand and i'm tall i'm 5'11". I put my hand up under his jaw area and tried to quickly kind of turn him so I could get his foot back onto the carpet area. And luckily I managed to do that. And then he just walked on out quite well. (laughs) There was a moment I thought, oh no, please don't let him slip and fall down. I mean, it would just have been horrible. And I have a wonderful picture. We made the front page of the newspaper. He and his black with his little, black tie on his cufflinks. <laughs> they made like these white um, leggings to go around his legs and then off the put a little brochy thing on the side so it didn't look like two cufflinks on his front legs. And I had my black and white dress on, so we looked rather grand going out. you know. But the write-up was very humorous about the horse and his tail going over some woman's lovely evening attire. <laughs> so it was a grand moment. We also had the privilege through the years to be in Reagan's inaugural parade. Oh, cool. By that, by that time, um, Francesca, we called her Franny, was her nickname, the daughter that had shown him um, prior to her accident, was riding again. Um, and a lot of times, myself and her brother, John C., would get on each side of her for her balance, especially if we were bringing her on the horse out in front of people where, you know, there might be a large gathering and he would get excited about something. So she rode him in the inaugural parade and I led him and then her brother was in attendance also to assist. But that was such an incredible moment. I mean, when you went by that reviewing stand, you thought that the president was only looking at you. And of course, Reagan loved horses. So that was really a a very special moment. Prayed to be in an inaugural grouping of horses from all over the country. Very famous different horses came. And so we were really excited to be part of that also. Well, you've had a 
you've had a full experience in in the Arabian industry and also with miniatures and what what's been the, your favorite part of your whole career? Because you, I mean, you've done it all: is showing and competing and. Of course, working. nothing would compete with you know some of the presentations I got to do with Castle. I mean, the first time I showed him was in the winter circle at Santa Anita Racetrack. And we were put in the barn where Secretariat had been housed with guards and all. So one day I forgot my badge at the hotel and I almost couldn't get in to feed him. I finally convinced him, <laughs> yes, I was that woman. Um, and, you know, walked out the first time to show him. And they had sold the seating of Santa Anita racetrack out. You could not get into, they had to close the gates. They didn't allow more people in. It was unbelievable. And it sounded like the roaring of a freight train where we were in the winter circle and he was loose and I was doing my presentation with him. Just unbelievably exciting. Um, you know, my heart was going hundred miles an hour, but I found out I loved it. And I bowed him and then I laid him down and I sat on his back and I waved at the crowd. And then at the end, you know, I got invited to do different things. And some of it, I thought, you know, I'm really his groom and his caretaker and he's the star. So I think I'm just heading back to Texas and I'm not going to go and see what some of these offerings may be, you know, for um, some of the, like one of the movie studios, um, said, please come by. I've got some thoughts, you know, come and visit. And I thought, no, that's not my life. That's maybe <laughs> Castle life, but I'm just along for the ride. Well, so I, I got to tell you, Margo, as a, they call me America's horse husband, and I represent horse husbands here in America, and I think we have that horse to blame uh, <laughs> for most of our lives, actually, um, because most of our wives, that's just, you know, it's just what Sarah said. Most of our wives, it's, we have that horse to blame for all of this. Yeah, I have um, had a moment. My daughter became quite a grand equestrian and won quite a bit in the Arabian industry. She still shows some. She's only in her 30s. But she went to college on a riding scholarship. And she was going to compete for their equestrian team in the hunter jumper, which is not what we do a lot of with our Arabs. So she had not had an opportunity she had shown on the flat, but not over fences. So I have, there was a barn here that I knew had some really good instructors. So I lined up for her to take some lessons before she went for her tryouts for the equestrian team in Oklahoma. And I drop her off the first day and I go to pick her up. And this young lady comes out and she looks at me and she starts crying. I said, oh my golly, what happened? Is my daughter okay and all? She said, oh, your daughter's fine. She said, I have to tell you, you and that black horse are why I am here. And her story was, I showed him at the Washington International Show. And one morning I went to feed and I, we were housed in with the Clydesdale horses, um, the Budweiser team. And we could not get the late, I brought a young woman as a groom to help me. We couldn't get into the tent where he was housed because there were so many people standing there. And I'm saying, excuse me, can I get through? I need to get to the horse. Excuse me. And this man kind of stops and says, honey, I've been here for two hours with my child. and You're not butting in front of me. And I said, well, I have the key to lock things, you know, unlock things and get to the horse. So maybe you want to let me through. And of course, then it just opened up for me. And there were photographers there. And so I just, I don't know what made me do it. But Cass is standing in his stall, you know, looking great and, I just turned and there was a gentleman holding his daughter in his arms. I said, can I borrow your daughter for a moment? He said, sir. So I just set her on his back and she was about five years old also, Sarah. And that was her first time to touch a horse. That was that little girl. Oh, wow. In San Antonio that gave my daughter riding lessons. Oh, wow. wow. Amazing. <laughs> what a life. World. You never know who you're touching along the way. You know, we say the horse world's a small world, and, you know, it really it isn't. There's nine million of us here, right? So, uh, but it is a small world. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess my favorite thing is showing cast. And, of course, now as I'm older, my favorite thing is when I watch my daughter ride a horse and do well and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. That just passes that along. Um, I still occasionally get on. I'll be 75 this year. I'm still traveling and judging quite a bit. But, um 
I have grandchildren now and want to spend a little more time with them. So I'm backing off of some of that over the next year. Well, it's good to hear you're doing so well. And thank you so much for joining us today. I know there's a lot of little girls who are not little girls anymore that were so excited to hear these stories. Well, thank you for inviting me to share what little bit I could today. Well, you put together a heck of a show here today, Sarah. So much fun. And, you know, we ended up talking to every one of these guests a little bit after, and we could have talked to them all day. Definitely. <laughs> it's always so much fun to talk to really cool people, and you had three of them today. Well, we'll have them back sometime when we can talk longer. But we want to thank our title sponsor, Fields of Grace, by author Kara Whitney. Horse Illustrated can be found at horseillustrated.com. And you can find the links to today's guests and show notes at horsesinthemorning.com or horseillustrated.com slash podcast. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. And you can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Yeah, just go to the App Store, by the way, and search for Horse Radio Network. It'll pop up. Happy reading and riding. 